Welcome to the Girls Talk podcast, where girls talk, girls share, girls listen and girls take control. I'm Adjo Boa and I started Girls Talk because of my own struggles with mental health. The thing that brought me out the other side was knowing I wasn't in this alone, talking about my problems with my girls and moving my body to clear my head. Which is why, every episode, I'm going to invite my friends to talk, share, listen and take control of our shit. Because together, we will become individually and collectively stronger, inspire each other and create a badass community. So, listen to us when you need to put your headphones in, block out the noise and surround yourself with the tools to control whatever chaos is in your life. Hi everyone, let me start by apologising for a quiet month in April, but we are back and better than ever for me. I'm super excited for this month's episode as it's a theme that's incredibly close to my heart and is something that's often given the wrong kind of press, which I want us at Girls Talk to change. Remember, nothing is too taboo for Girls Talk. The theme is migration and we're going to be spending the month learning about what migration means and how it's affected people around the world. I desperately want to inspire any refugees listening with stories that can help them overcome their challenges but I also want to try and shine a light on the incredible stories of migration so everyone can feel educated on the subject. So let's start our first episode of the month. Girls Talk. So let's start with our first episode. To kick off our theme of migration, I've invited one of the biggest charities for refugees onto the podcast, You may have heard them shopped in their Choose Love stores or seen their iconic t-shirts worn by celebrities and people around the world. It's the incredible Help Refugees and we have one of their founders, Philly Boyle, on to talk to us. Hello, Philly. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I have also got the amazing Sam Hudson from Women for Refugee Women here to talk to us. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Sam, for being on the podcast. With her, she's brought along the amazing Gabby, who will be sharing with us and educating us on what it is like to actually be a refugee. So thank you so much for coming on. Hi, everyone. Thank you. And also Doreen, who will be sharing her own personal stories and what she's been through and what she's overcome and to get her to this point right here, right now. So yeah. thank you Hi, so everyone. much. Hi. Yeah. Thank you so much, Doreen, for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Um, so let's start with you, Philly. You are one of the founders of the global charity Help Refugees. Can you tell us how you started and what made you set it up? Well, we definitely weren't setting out to set up a charity when we started. We were a group of friends who all felt a very visceral response to uh, a lot of the way that parts of the media and certain politicians were talking about refugees who were arriving on on the shores of Europe in 2015 during the summer. We felt like we wanted to do something. We wanted to do something to help, but also sort of to demonstrate that that was not the way that we felt about the human beings who were arriving here seeking, seeking sanctuary and refuge. Um, so the plan was really just to um, take a van full of donations to Calais um, and to raise a thousand pounds. But because it was a moment when there was just so many people in the UK and further afield, but really, really, it was a UK 
led movement then there were so many people who felt exactly the same as us so completely unexpectedly within a week we'd raised 56,000 pounds and we were receiving 7,000 items a day from an Amazon wish list uh, at Big Yellow Storage in East Finchley and um, we felt this massive responsibility to for what we had to do with that money making sure that it was that we spent it as as it had been so generously donated in in the appropriate way so we went to Calais, uh, four of us went to Calais after work one Friday and we expected to find lots of big organisations kind of all organising everything, kind of managing the camp there. But when we got there, there were 5,000 people living in festival tents um, and there were no big organisations. There were a group of retired locals and a couple of really industrious British and volunteers from elsewhere in Europe um, who were trying to respond to the needs of about 5,000 people including women, including children, even though across this whole, this whole uh, kind of the, the, the whole narrative, there's always, it's always uh, discussed that it's just, it's just young men. Of course, mm-hmm. there are young men, they're just as yeah. much in need as anyone else. But yeah. we saw women and children from, from that first day. And we asked what we could do, like what we could do to help. And the local organization said, if you could help us set up a warehouse and a volunteer program, we can start working together and trying to make this a little bit more structured. And and so that's that's what we did. And I had the most uh, flexible sort of working arrangement because I was running my own business at the time. And so I actually stayed in Calais after that day. And we set up a warehouse and we organized a volunteer program and a distribution system and a warehouse system. And none of us had any clue what we were doing at all. It was pure people power. It was learning from doing things wrong. It was consulting with the people living in the camp, finding out how we could do things better. It was working on tiny, tiny budgets, um, but it was a, it was it was all possible because so many people wanted to help in so many different ways. It was people organising bake sales at schools in the north of England. It was people in their gap year after un, uh, before university coming and spending a week or a month or six months helping out. Uh, it was people writing to their MPs and saying they wanted more to be done to help the people in Calais. It was, it was, and everything in between, it was a real, it was, it was people power. And, oh, well, of course, all the people donating money to allow us to do all that stuff, mustn't forget them. Um, And, and I think that feeling of being a movement of positivity and love and wanting to do something for your fellow human is, is just, is like who we are and what has brought us to where we are today. And it's why I don't despair in humanity because we're still here and we now work in 12 countries uh, funding 80 amazing grassroots projects, including Say It Loud Club, which is where Doreen is uh, works uh, is from, and also Women for Refugee Women, um, who are also here today, and just lots of other things besides. So we're still providing emergency care um, in and around camps in, in these 12 different countries. We provide uh, safe spaces for women. We provide psychological support, nappies, f- lots of food, fresh food, nutritious food, Lots of community centres, education, medical care. If we can find a way to to find the funds to do it, then we try to fill the gaps that there are in both emergency, but also the more long term, the housing and the things that actually, you know, do what really matters long term, which is help people to just become independent and be start lives again. Because yeah. ultimately, that's what it's all about. It's not about living in camps and having a nice community centre there. It's about new life and new beginnings and being part of society anyway yeah so that's that's us oh god you're amazing before I kind of asked you both about 
those new beginnings and what your kind of charities have done for you and the path that they have set you on. I just want to ask you, Philly, what was it like? It's so beautiful when you said, you know, you had a job, you were starting up your own business, but you went to Calais. And from then on, you decided that you were going to dedicate your life and your time to doing this. What was the kind of moment in which you realised that this was what you wanted to do? What kind of changed in terms of the trajectory of your life that you would had now decided to get dedicate all your time to this? Like Honestly, it just sounds, I was talking about it before, it sounds sounds really cheesy, but it was, I just... We love cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just felt like I had a purpose and that mm-hmm. I was doing something that felt um, like it was useful and I felt like I was part of this community, this group of people who shared values and shared uh, goals and understood that every single human being is equal and we deserve exactly the same opportunities. And there's a lot of injustice in the world, that, uh, but there's also a lot of hope and there's, there's so many ways that we can help. And so honestly, it was completely selfish. It just felt yeah. amazing um, to be able to, to have found something where like that, that sense of fulfillment, basically. And um, Gabby and Doreen, like either one of you can start. What about your new beginnings? Would you tell me a bit about your beginning, middle and end, if possible, and like kind of what both women for refugee women and say it out loud have done for both of you? Can I say that? Yeah, of course. Um, I think um, my process has been very difficult. I'm actually a refugee and I'm an LGBT person. So it's a two-way thing for me to go. I'm from Africa, originally from Cameroon, and where I come from, it's difficult accepting people who are LGBT people, I guess. And it's you cannot even say, I'm this person. You cannot express yourself. And from way back home, I had the problem of um, coming out. I was found being an a gay person and it was torturing to me and if you are one you more you might be faced to like get married to an older person yeah. or someone you don't love or you just been locked up and threatened your life to death and all days and that was one of the reasons that pushed me to come to the UK and being to the UK it was horrible I was in a relationship which my parents actually built up for me because they said they couldn't stand the fact that I was what I was, what I said I was, which was my personality being a lesbian woman. After being in the UK, I I, I only did that because I wanted to please my parents. Coming to the UK, say, oh, I accept this marriage. And I was going to be with the person. It wasn't even sort of marriage. I said, I told my mom I was going to try mm-hmm. to be in this relationship to please you because all oh, the community is after you. The community is after me. You don't want to lose your daughter, but you don't understand what I'm feeling and what I'm going through. So being in the UK, I, I stayed with this person for like two weeks. And I thought it was the worst experience of my life. Being with someone... You don't even, it's not what you are. It's Mm. not my thing to be with someone of the opposite sex. I'm what I am and I want to be with someone else, but you're bound to be in with someone in a strange country and a strange house where you know no one. The experience was horrible. And I tried as much as possible to explain 
but I couldn't because I had no one to talk to. After what I faced back home and coming here, I felt like nobody wanted to listen. Nobody could hear you out. How can you express yourself when it's a bad thing? It's considered a taboo. It's considered your occurs to be that person. And one day I found the courage to really, I was, it got to a point I could commit suicide. I couldn't sleep. I think say Loud Club has helped me a lot. I've gained weight. I used to be very skinny. And I'm thinking in my head, how did God create me this way? How was I meant to be this way? And nobody understands. Then one day I was like, okay, I cannot do this anymore. I had to run out of the house because I got to that point. I almost commit suicide. And I said, I think my life is better not dying than just living out on the street in London. So I don't know how I got to London, but I saw a sister who now directed me and said, I think you're depressed. I think you have a problem. I've been going through a lot and I didn't want to be in this country, not being a refugee, not having, being able to walk around, express myself. So she introduced me to Say It Loud Club and I met Alicia as my mentor. I'm really grateful with that, we've shared a lot of experience. We have people who come from Africa, especially from Cameroon too. We've had um, Uganda, Kenya, um, particularly I have my girlfriend. She's from Kenya. And we have come out openly right now. We say we are where we are. We share, we live together. We go to the Choose Club together, Choose Love. We go, we have pride events, we attend together. And I think it's more open enough for me now to say, I am who I am because of the Say It Loud Club. Yeah. We have people who've been there and seeking asylum, being refugee, and now they come out to say, oh, these challenges, people go through it, they've been through it. But if you have people, like community, I think the problem I was facing <coughs> is being confined in an environment where you have no one to talk to, no one to listen. But it's still a difficult stage to go because the UK government, I think, doesn't really believe in us. I wouldn't say how they want you to express yourself because sometimes when people ask me why I've been to an interview and and they be why would you say how do you identify yourself as a lesbian woman and I say I am a lesbian woman how can I identify myself do you want me to start showing off some things or <laughs> and say oh, photo? yeah <laughs> or what and say I am who I am no but this is me and I'm telling you I am this it's so the process it's horrible and we're still in the process but why in the process i feel more free yeah not even having papers to stay in the uk but i i'm having the self-fulfillment that i belong to a group of people who understand me and i've been able to share my experience we've had like fashion shows traveled went to the realm and we met like young people school like a school and they're like oh can you share your experience and i've had the opportunity to talk and write Right now, most I feel very blessed to be able to share my experience and talk about it. Every time I talk about it, I'm open. It's just overwhelming to me. And at Say It Loud Club, do you, other than obviously, most importantly, giving you a community, do they, like kind of Philly spoke about, that, that independence? Do they kind of push you towards finding your own feet? Like, obviously, you know, you're kind of, introduced to a community of like-minded people who understand what you're going through and have also been through it but how do they kind of 
integrate integrate you kind of like into a larger community where you feel like possibly at some point you feel like you belong, if you get what I mean. Is it partly like the help with the asylum process? Yeah. Partly the support with the... Because you have, I'm just, you know, I'm just like, my heart is... Because you have two. It's like, you know, yeah, um, there's this this... There's this energy here in Britain for being a refugee, but there's this also another unspoken energy of being a lesbian woman. And you've got both of those two things. So I'm just wondering, you know, obviously you've spoken about how amazing it is to suddenly start speaking openly about what you're going through. I think the City Lock Club is helping in the sense that maybe if, we have to go to like a situation where they say, Oh, can you prove yourself that you are? And and I say, I have a mentor. Maybe Alicia can say, and the women for refugee, they can come up and say, We know this woman. We've worked with her. We've had many seminars with her and we've had her share her experiences. And we think she is what she says she is. Yeah. And that will help. I think literally that. Because because part of the part of the situation for the LGBT refugees, uh, that the the big challenge is really being asked to prove who you are, and it's almost like guilty until yeah. proven innocent. I think sometimes, and the questioning is from what I've heard from some of the members of the community, the way the questions, the way that they're they're posed, is just is really really kind of callous and abrupt, and um, and so it's it makes the makes that process really a little bit daunting I think and Gabby obviously you have your own story but I'd love if you could shine light on kind of what both these lovely women have talking about this process and your process in kind of coming from where you were born to England I have a sister over here who helped me to actually escape and come here understand and I've been severely abused from a child until an adult and then when I first came here, I went to school for the first year. And then um, after that, they refused to give me another year. And I was here for like 15 years, undocumented. I went to sign and um, I was detained. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> um, you're treated like a criminal, actually. Yeah. And you're being starved from the time they arrest you. You don't eat until they take you the next day, a.m. in the morning, to a place named Yarlswood. Horrible, smelly, stinky place. And by that time, you're starving. So you can't think. And I, for me, I feel it's a process that, um, for them, you can't think, so you can't fight. Yeah. You understand? So they can quickly do anything and get you out of the country. That's my experience. Anyway, um, your lawyers turn on you. Once you reach in there, they become, it's like a nightmare. And I think a lot of people are not exposed to it. Even my sisters and my family, they're British born. And they have learned a lot since. As They're like advocates now because I am going through this process. And they see it firsthand. Um, anyway, I was detained the first day when I reached there. Um, they have a process of um, taking you to a section and then they um, search you. They question if you're pregnant. They test you 
like blood pressure, all of that. And um, then they put you on a section. And then the next day they took you into the big main area. So it's actually a prison. Okay. I've never committed a crime in my life. I've never been exposed to anything like this. And I was saying, oh my God, you have been abused where you are. <laughs> no, you come and go, they lock you up for yeah. it. You understand? So um, anyway, they put you in a main prison. I was in a section named Avocet. And um, you're there with hardened criminals, people who have committed crime, but also people are locked up like myself. You so understand? everyone's mixed together. Everyone is mixed together. And I remember the first day when I went into my room, I pulled the door, went in, I put my things down and it's two people to a room and um, I put my bags down and th th my roommate was bathing and she came out naked with soap and said, what are you doing in my room? And I was like, they just tell me to come in, you understand? So I'm put in a situation, you know, Anyway, I, I was willing to defend myself at the time, and I think she got the message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when she came back, she said, I don't share my room. And um, I, 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 but I like you. She said that to me. And I said, I don't know if she saw that I was willing to like help myself. But anyway, it was a good um, thing because she became like a mentor mm. for me. And, um, she showed me how to help myself in there because their lawyers and everybody take, they just start asking you for money. They yeah, can yeah. call you anytime and say, you need they to give me 1500 Take advantage completely. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a terrible thing. And um, anyway, um, I started to help myself and I successfully came out. Okay. Mm. When, I came, when I was inside, I heard of women for refugee women. But when I came up, my sister said, listen, we have spent over nearly £8,000 now. We don't have that money. You need to call Women for Refugee Women, which when I went there, because I was doing my own case, I spoke to one of the ladies and um, she says to me, we can't help you at this moment because you're doing at your case. But if your situation change, um, we will step in. About five weeks after being released, I went, they arrested me again. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyway, at this time when I came in, Women for Refugee Women stepped in. And that is how they, the process started. I'm now in the NRM system, which is for women who are trafficked. And I'm also an asylum seeker. So I have two cases also inside there. Um, when I came out, I was suicidal. So my sister had to get me into a safe house where I can be monitored because of what we went through inside that detention center. Um, now I'm out of the, the detention center. I'm now in, a NAS, they call it a NAS accommodation, which is the home office. And um, you get like an allowance and all of that. But you're still um, in the system where... Mentally, you are, you're, you feel like you're going, they can attack you same way, anytime. Yeah. Um, I was in counseling for uh, 46 sessions. I am, I am, that's, that, that one was by the home office. They actually put me into, because they realized what they did. Mm. Um, I'm now 
I've got another 20 sessions from the NHS to start on Thursday. Um, but on the good side, <laughs> because of Women for Refugee Women, I got into uni. Yeah. Okay. And I am actually doing a course for traumatized people like myself that so I hope <laughs> I hope um that I can really finish school and then start to um help people like myself because I think where the home office has gone wrong is not everybody's coming from a war to one country. Yeah. But we're coming from our own wars. Yeah. Okay. And our own wars can be very personal. It's worse than somebody shooting you because those scars can't be healed. Being shot, it can be healed. But certain scars will never go away. And um, people see you and you look like, okay, you look normal, you look all right. But inside, there is a terrible war that has been gone. And if you don't have people, you come to a safe country, you come to this country. I mean, my family... My family looked after me. I never took anything from this country more than safety. And they put me in prison. They can't tell me it's not prison. Okay? They cannot tell me it's not prison. I have been in situations where I see people sit down and harm themselves, cut their own throats and stuff. I've been exposed to that has also added to what I've been through. Those things are scarring. You can't get rid of it, you understand? But on the good side, I remain optimistic that I am in a country where there is good people, there is people always listening, and there is people always willing to help me through my journey and help me to help other people through my journey. So when I speak to another woman, I can feel because I know what it's like, okay? So that's where I am at this point. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. And Sam, obviously you are from Women for Refugee Women. Is this, you know, is 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 Gabby's story one that you've heard far too many times? Is this, you know, have yeah, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. I think the problem with the asylum process in the UK, which is meant to be a system to protect people who have come to this country to seek safety, is that it absolutely strips everyone's dignity. I mean, all the time we see women who have been put in detention, um, stripped of their liberty, and it's uh, the, the detention centre that we work in a lot is called Yarlswood. It's a female majority detention centre. And when women go in, they don't know how long they'll be locked up. So it's different to prison in that there's not a set um, sentence. Mm -hmm. So women are counting up the days rather than counting down the days. Um, and our research with women in Yarlswood has shown how this has a massive impact on women's mental health. And it's just incredibly disempowering. So a lot of the work that we do is about empowering women so that they know their rights, they can um, start to take charge of their own situations and they can develop networks of other women um, for solidarity and support. Uh, another of the big problems that we see is destitution. So women in the asylum process are made homeless and 
end up living on the streets or um, often in more hidden ways, like sleeping on night buses or um, sleeping with friends. And another problem that we see is um, this issue of survival sex, so where women are forced into abusive relationships just to have a, a, roof, over, yeah, to have a roof over their heads. And I think the other big issue that we've already touched on is the disbelief. So people who have already survived so much, this very invasive and aggressive questioning by the Home Office, and then to be told that what you've said is not credible, that your personal story is not going to be believed because the priority is on reducing the numbers of people who are allowed to have safety rather than on granting this. So, yeah, I mean, it's something we hear far too often and it's something that we really want to change by empowering women to share their own stories, by changing the narratives in the media and by challenging the government really on this. And is there, I mean, both Sam and Philly, you can speak from, I mean, you all can. Is there a fear, you know, with with truth-telling, with storytelling in general, there's always a fear of judgment, stigma, you know, things like that. But in this case, in the case of one being a refugee, is there a fear in behind, you know, is there a fear that comes with telling your story? Are there repercussions of, like, speaking your truth and actually saying out loud what has gone, you know, what has happened to you? Yeah, I think it's really important that there's safe ways for yeah. women to tell their stories. Particularly, we work with a lot of trafficked women and that kind of exposure in the media could result in women being put in a situation where they're in more danger. But I think it's so important that women who have had this experience can carry the message and mm -hmm. can be the people who are speaking out. We have a lot of experts already, and I think for there to be true change, people need to have a better understanding on what it, of what it's like to experience this personally yeah. and what that means. So as long as there can be kind of safe ways of storytelling created, and we do a lot of drama and kind of creative, creative storytelling methods, this is how we're going to change the narrative around migration and refugees. And Philly, you, you know, um, in regards to like storytelling and, and, and drama and everything, Choose Love has definitely, you know, has told stories in a dramatic way as well. You, were you part, you were part of The Jungle. The, we were the we were the, the charity, charity partner, yeah the charity the partner the jungle the play yeah and um, which was amazing by the way yeah, yeah. We, I can't take any credit for the play itself it was Joe and Joe who um, who set up Good Chance Theatre in in the camp um, in Calais when we very first started working there so we we met them straight away we were kind of busy building shelter and distributing food and clothes and they were providing this absolutely essential and uh, beautiful safe space for people to go and seek sort of res refuge and respite and through through arts through music uh, through theater through visual arts through photography it was uh, it 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 really represented somewhere where people could go and uh, escape for a little while from what was you know the conditions in the camp at the time were just horrendous and 
Yeah, so so what they created and they continue to create wherever they work is is something that gives hope and joy and respite and brings fun and uh, is which is so important alongside the, alongside providing the basics and uh, the emergency relief, like actually providing a bit of normality or helping create a space where there is a bit of normality is is something that can be overlooked but is so important. Mm-hmm. So we were really, really lucky to be a made charity partner. We were, we were so honoured and we, the funds that we raised and continue to raise as they continue their incredible tour around the world, we are using, we're still in Calais. There are still uh, people living in tents there. There are still unaccompanied minors there. We're still funding all of the services, um, providing the child protection support, providing food, providing all the basics. So every penny that the generous audience members are donating is, is going is going to to fund those programs because the thing is you know obviously I knew about what was happening in Calais I knew everything around it but you get that information from um, news reports from the press from the media and going to go and you know when I went to go and see that play I was shocked and kind of ashamed that there were so many things that I had no idea about and I'm sure that's completely you know this is not I'm sure there are lots of people kind of saying the same things as that I'm saying right now. And obviously, you know, there are so many things going on in the world and, you know, you know, one day something's pressing and then the next day people have forgotten about it. And this is something that is so pressing and so important and it it comes in and out of the media in good light and bad light. Where does all that bad... Um, when you're doing things like all of you four women are doing, when there are plays like the jungle touring around England, telling the most beautiful stories, the most beautiful true stories. Where is all this bad press coming from? Uh, well, I think, I, I guess it's not quite answering that question, but I do think the 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 couple of things from from what you just said, one of which is that, yeah, the, the lack of media coverage is is a huge, a huge issue and something that I know that all of us are trying to, to do something about. Um, <laughs> continuing to tell stories, continuing to talk to the press, um, to let them know what's happening, things that they should be talking about. But in the absence of that, we've just found that social media has been the most the most incredibly powerful tool. Everything that we've been able to do as an organisation has been because it, people, especially young people, that they find their information, they seek out their news, and mm-hmm. um, they seek to become informed about what's going on in the world. And I feel so kind of excited and inspired to, well, you know, everyone wearing the Choose Love t-shirt, people tagging themselves in, in the t-shirts on, on, uh, online, people, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that people get to feel like they're part of this, of this movement of positivity. And, you know, you look at Extinction Rebellion, what they've been doing, it's, uh, you know, young people uh, are finding ways to get information about what's going on in their really really hungry to find ways to help and that's been a huge part of what's enabled so much change um i think in 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 the narrative in the popular narrative i feel like when we started the, using the word refugee was even something that was um that was kind of taboo mm-hmm. and now and and um and i'm not taking the credit for that changing but i think all the grassroots movement has has allowed collective voice um and and actually is the voice of a hell of a lot of people and um i think that it's there there are f- certain influences and forces and voices which try to make p- 
people think that it's a really complicated situation. Yeah. And that that so some people can tend to shy away from from the situation because they can't really understand it and it's global and it's political and of course it is and there's stuff that we do not have complete control over but there is so much that can be done there are petitions you know we have lift the ban which is about allowing people um who are waiting for their asylum process to go through to work to allow them to become independent there is set her free the campaign the that women for refugee women have been working on about ending indefinite detention uh there is the dubs amendment about protecting unaccompanied minors and all these things, you know, people can use their voices, sign the petitions, write to their MPs, and that that does create change. That's something you can do. You can volunteer. You can collect donations. You can just make a statement on your Instagram that you support refugees. Um, and it, it's not scary and it's not overwhelming. And there's so many different ways that people can can get involved. Yeah, and that's very good for all our listeners to know. Because I think with all of these things, sometimes it does sound complicated, especially if you're hearing it through um, certain news publications or on the news and it feels kind of otherworldly, but it really is. You know, you're living proof that it's happening on our doorsteps. And I don't know of how you got into this 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 work, Sam, but definitely with you, Philly, that it is, it's, you know, in a selfish way, it feels like a it's a complete 100% purpose. And also one that, if we've been given certain privilege that we should, you know, it's our kind of duty to give back. Yeah. Um, God, there's so many questions and you guys have answered them all without me even asking them. <laughs> what about the future, you two? What, I know you're both, um, you know, there are certain things that you're still going through right now, but what does the future like look like for you? What are you... For me, um, I am trying, as I said, um, to educate myself and to um, actually give back. So um, I am in my first year at uni, and um, my course for, because I want to um, help traumatized women, it's going to be a five-year process. Um, the project that I'm in now, it's for two years, the sponsorship that I have. So if I get my papers within that time, I probably would have to pay for it. But if I don't get my papers inside that time, I still would have to be um, going through a scholarship. But hopefully everything will work through. Um, I want to empower women. I also want to write a book. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Any way I can help with the system. And I would just like to say that it's not every British person is a horrible person. There's a lot of lovely British people. Thank you, Philly. Thank you, Sam. You know, I mean, thank thank you so much, um, Adwa, um, for this platform that we can um talk on and um hopefully one day I can really help somebody and give somebody the chance to speak. Was there a point, Gabby, you know? Thank you for saying thank you. I mean, I've done absolutely nothing. And Sam and Philly, you have done wonders. Was there a time, you know, maybe it was before the dissension centre, after where you felt hatred coming from, oh, yeah. from England? Oh, yeah. You came from your own country where you didn't feel, you know, where it was there was trauma and then you came to Britain where you thought it was going to be like this and it wasn't. Um, for 15 years, I have to be like living in my family's house. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have the right to work. I'm afraid when I go on the street that I'll be stopped. All kind of things. And um, I hear people speak about refugee people. I myself um, 
didn't classify myself as a refugee (laughs) until I learned the system that you are a trafficked person. You understand? And and you should seek asylum. And I got that even from people who work within the system. I'm not going to say, you understand, when when I sat and I tell my story, because I remember telling my story to somebody and they're actually Googling it, okay? Mm. <laughs> That's how intense it was. And when they thought, the, oh, my God, you know, the, the whole perception of me changed. And um, they said, I'll help you. You know, I mean, you can't really return um, to your country. But when going through the detention bit, it was horrible. How they speak to you, or you're treated, you're treated like you're nothing. They speak to you like you're nobody. But when I came out and started to, like, associate with Women for Refugee Women, I was open to a lot of people who had so much love and compassion in their hearts. You understand? So it helped to boost my confidence because, you know what I mean, I was I was a wreck. I had to be put on suicide watch. You understand? Because I was like, why is it worth living? I have been abused there. And then I come here and I'm being abused there too, in another way. And mentally... It is horrible. I've started losing my hair. Mm. It was terrible. You understand? But I've come a long stride and um, things are looking good. (laughs) I'm positive. And Doreen, you, um, as well as Gabby, have also kind of gone through your own um, journey with mental health and feeling suicidal. Is this, obviously, is this something, maybe you can all four answer, is this, is mental health something that's very like rife in um, the community of refugees? Is this something that's kind of is something that we have to talk about as well? Um, I think we're talking about refugees, and we're forgetting that I we have I have two personalities, which is being a gay woman and a refugee seeker. It's a really difficult thing to do with two sides. Especially if you have to face a situation where someone, you say you are a gay person and they don't believe you and you go to say again, oh, I'm a refugee seeker. So these two things, I've been in this country for three years now and haven't been able to work. I don't, like, I live with my friend. A friend who helps, but I stay, like, in a couch. That's why I sleep, literally. And... Every time she says, oh, you think you're a gay person, how is he going to help you? You think, I think that's a lot of bias. Even me, sometimes I'll be on the bus and I'm like on the phone. Or I'm talking to my girl and someone turns and say, oh, she's gay. And they start gossiping within themselves. I feel like coming from Africa, we've had all that experience and all the challenges I had in Africa. I didn't expect the time I started coming out to still face the same thing I'm facing right now in the UK. At, I had a horrible moment one time when I went to visit a friend. She works in a restaurant. Most of the time she'll be at the ring. You can come help and get food so you can go home with it so your roommate wouldn't feel you don't do nothing. So And I had um, immigration officers. It was 30 of them. It reminded me back of when I was back home and I was detained and it was but there horror. were 30 immigration officers yeah. at the restaurant. Yeah. 
and I was just sitting there and the the girl said, Doreen, just wait, let me get upstairs and get you a food. That experience now. I can't even see a police officer on the street and I'm not scared. I go blank. I cannot even hear the sound of the car right now. That has traumatized me a lot. And if I get the sound and I'm like, it's like I need to go under a table or they're going to send me back home. It's worse than even I think when I was back home and it's just scary. And I'm like, where am I going to go? Where am I supposed to be? All of these ordering, you have to sit there. They're questioning me, asking me, oh, have you done this? This tissue are not supposed to be here. Where am I supposed to be? I cannot eat. What am I supposed to be? I cannot even sleep. It's been horrible. They can't understand. I cannot even express. I'm tired of telling people, oh, I'm these, I'm that. People don't understand. But I feel like every time I talk about it, it's a bit relieving to me. And I really want to give back to the community, especially for black people where we come from. We have a lot of people who are trying to becoming like the process of becoming the way we say it and you have you need a mentor someone to tell you oh or guide you through the process but for us we do not have that privilege i think the privilege is here and abroad to say like having alicia's like having and say oh during you can say this is who you are be proud of who you are it's your identity face it but now, what I would wish to give back to the society is I feel like doing counselling. Um, I had a degree in business management back home and I was hoping just to go further to do my master's. But I was hoping to do master's on a different sector, not knowing how the world here was going to be like. But now knowing it, I think I would like to be an LGBT activist and educate people on um, becoming, the becoming process how you have to, like, take it. And I think, too, parents mostly don't know how to to deal with the situation of you becoming. They don't understand, oh, my child, why are you wearing? But you cannot, and then they mostly tend to say, oh, LG people, people are bad people. They're reckless. They're on the street. And most of jobs, you can see people employing LGBT, oh, you're not meant to be in this post. I think I need to really, I wish I had the platform to say, these people are not bad. It's the way you treat us. And we get mad and say, no, why are you looking at me like that? Don't mm-hmm. I'm not a normal person like you. I am. And I feel like I we need to sensitize people. That stigma. A child growing up, you cannot bring the child up and say, if you're a Christian, you take the child to church. If I'm a gay person, you can also treat me to that direction and say, when I grow up now, I become in the right direction. But if you don't give a focus on me, and I go a wrong direction and I say you're a bad person. I don't think LGBT people are good. I think if I need to give back, I will really think of doing counseling, not only to LGBT people, but to the to parents most especially who mm-hmm. are growing kids, who tend to see changes. These are changes you see in people. These are the way you have to manage them. Because they will tend to hear from you and they will want your support. They will be like, oh my mom. Because most of the stories people tell, experiences they've had is my mom doesn't know I'm this. My dad doesn't know. We've hidden it for a long time. But sometimes you just feel like you're being bondage. You're in a cave. You cannot come out. Every time you talk, you're like, I cannot say this. You want to do something, you can because you're being held down. But I think it's a lot to tell about, like you said, talking about it, coming out, most platforms and saying, oh, this is who I am. Right, recently, 
my Instagram page. I've seen a lot of everywhere and everything. Back home, people commenting my schoolmates. Oh, Doreen, that is bad. <laughs> Why did you post this picture? Why are you kissing? Why are you? I cannot talk about it because they don't understand. But I wish I cannot go back to do that because it's a taboo for me. But I think if I had like a platform online where I could be, oh, this sacred place, if you're that way, you can come to me and then I'll tell you how we go about it. I will really do that. I think it's more. But the problem is not being able to be documented in this country, like you said, before you can have that step forward. Mm. So for now, I'm just focusing on the process of becoming and still airing out my mind and until when I'm sorted, then I can come up to that. Thank you so much, Doreen. Girls share. This section of the podcast is normally where we share a submission from my beautiful community. However, I'm lucky enough to have Gabby here to share one of her beautiful poems. So I'll hand it over to you, Gabby. Okay, I wrote this poem when I was in a really bad state and I had learned through going through this drama class at Women for Refugee Women that you should express yourself on paper, write yourself a poem. So I hope you guys like it. I'm really proud of it. Um, It's called Free. And it goes, um, Oh, how I'd love to be free. To be free to love, to live, to learn, to exist. To realize my dreams and goals. To feel human. To be treated with dignity and kindness. People see me and don't know how painful it is to be me. But one day, one wonderful day, when mankind stops being unkind, I'll be free like a butterfly leaving its cocoon. I will be free to be me. (laughs) (laughs) Round of applause for (laughs) Gary. That was amazing. Thank you. That was beautiful. It was something I love. So is that, you know, obviously with Women for Refugee Women, is that, do you do classes on writing and, and, and poetry and drama? Yeah, so we have a drama group who meets every Friday at the South Bank Centre and they perform quite regularly. And that's all about creating a safe way for women to share their stories, but also about kind of feeling empowered and learning to communicate and um, be creative and express yourself in lots of different ways. And then we also have um, on Monday about 100 refugee and asylum-seeking women come to our offices in London for English lessons and there's a writing class that's part of that. We also have a campaigning group who do lots of speaking out and writing articles and trying to change the way that the media talks about refugee and asylum-seeking women by kind of sharing that really human story. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gabby, for sharing your story with us today. Girls Listen. Billy, Sam, Gabby and Doreen, I want this podcast to envelop our listeners' ears with a positive message for them to take forward in moments of darkness and chaos. So this is why I asked my guests to share um, a tool of strength for my girls, a tool of strength that they come back to time and time again. It can be a poem, it can be something that someone once told you, um, but it can also be a song lyric or a mantra or a quote. So just something that gets you out of your head and 
grounds you back on this sometimes quite chaotic world? For me, I it took me quite a actually quite a few years to realize that the thing that helps me when I'm going through moments of darkness is although I what I want to do is stay under my duvet. Mm-hmm. Um the what really really helps is to just really slowly and putting like no pressure on myself at all about how I do it or how long it takes is to get up and get outside and just walk and be preferably in a park or a wood somewhere but just just walking moving I think it's I think it's a really really powerful way of just reconnecting with with the rest of the world outside of whatever is going on in your head in that moment yeah completely Doreen I think mine is not good because I like being on my own which most people tend to say I might be suicidal in the future like high risks because I keep things a lot in me physically I cannot express it's hard but inside I really die down and I don't like talking but I think recently it's been much easier with the sailor club and being an ambassador like um my chairman I call him my chairman mentor he says the ring you cannot talk to people when you yourself are being shy away you have to open up and say oh this is what I went through and I think you can talk to me I think we can both share our experiences and overcome this process so with that being in the group talking to people is helping a lot to it. thank you Doreen for me I'm a bit of a busy bee now <laughs> so I'm in two choirs yeah <laughs> I play the drum Whoa. <laughs> I draw I pencil draw and I also do speeches and speak mm-hmm. out and all of that this is how I monitor because if I'm by myself I think too much you understand so I am busy as a busy 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 bee and I'm also in uni so I those are the things I just feel like you should just go for it yeah and just know that there's there's another life and you don't have to feel depressed all the time because if you're going to be depressed all the time, that's no way to live. For me, I'm so lucky to be working for Women for Refugee Women because we have this amazing, really strong community of women who are all supporting each other, inspiring each other. And I think being part of that can give us so much strength and also motivation to keep pushing on. So, yeah, feeling part of something, and that could be the Girls Talk Network or your friendship groups, or um, social media, just connecting with other people and feeling like you're taking small actions to make a change. Girls, take control. We've spoken about so much today, and I, I feel so grateful and blessed to be in all of your company, so thank you so much. But I'd love our listeners to know what we've all learned from our conversation, what we can take away and what our listeners can take away. So we don't all have to say something, but if anyone from the group wants to share what they've taken from our conversation. Well, I'm living with um, hearing um, another person's experience and also hearing um, from Philly, you know, what she's doing, I think is absolutely amazing. And um, from you guys and the platform, that we're going to leave is very positive, you know what I mean? I know I got a bit teary 
before white sauce. Oh, God, you got Terry. I was, I was like, I was like back here sobbing, yeah. <laughs> and I've never cried on a podcast. I've got part of darkness, not really, but I, get it. I leave it somewhere. And you, you both, all of you, it's just sorry. I'm not going to interrupt. Go. No, 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 no. I think it's fantastic. Um, I I was a bit nervous, you know, coming in, but I think it's really, really relaxing, and um, I feel stress free actually. Letting off those tears, I feel a bit better. I, I was really tense, but now I feel good. So we, I'm really living with a positive um feeling uh, about everything and about um girls talk. It's it's a very good platform. Thank you. Thank you so much. To me, I'm, I'm going to say what I'm living with is the fact that I'm, I've had this experience too. It's so amazing and I'm overwhelmed talking like this and with people. Especially, I feel like her experience might somehow link to me someday in the future if I don't get my own status um, soonest. Because at the moment, I'm signing like every two weeks. And when she explained that, I got scared. Like, what if one day and I go to sign? And, and I'm being told to be late there and I don't want to go there. I am still signing, but um, they have, they put me on six months now not to come back. Um. I was on two I was on every two weeks. Then when they detained me and I was released, they put me on every week because they obviously wanted to take me back in. But since I've come out, they've put me on a monthly and now from another six months. So for all our listeners, both you can all explain this and, and for myself, when you're signing in, whether it be every six months or two weeks or week, what is it? that they're actually checking every time you come into that room? Um, I can give you this the, 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 the thing. Um, you reach, you get a number. They tell you to go and sit down. In no, some of them really can be rude. So go and sit. So you're treated like you're nobody, like you're a criminal. And um, you have a few people who are good people, yeah. but you have those who enjoy their job. Your belts are beat you. They take your belts off. You have to take your jacket off. You have to every time you sign every in. Time. Yeah, yeah, no wearing or nothing. Nothing. You're, everything you watch, whatever you have on you, so you're stripped, and that's a very horrible feeling right away because mm-hmm. you feel trapped. Yeah, and then, they're already not treating you exactly. as a human before. And then you're scanned mm-hmm. with a scanner thing, like when you go through the airport, and then you go and sit down. Um, I've been going from you go and sit down. Now they do, they have a new system that you have a barcode thing. So, you know, you swipe yeah, that you barcode. Swipe. But I used to have to go and you sit. And then for me who have been detained twice, it's, it's heartbreaking. I've cried a few times. Um, but when I see they say to somebody, could you come around here? I know exactly what's going to happen. Oh so God. it's traumatizing because I know what's going to happen to that person because it has been done to me. So I think this new barcode system that I've put in is to stop people like me sitting there and seeing it. So because when you go and you swipe yeah. and if you, they update on your thing because this is this is what they do. They go on the computer and they see where your case is. So I think they get the chance to know that you did something, somebody, your caseworker, because everybody has a caseworker in the home office, will put on the computer that you should be detained so they know. Yeah, I think the process is actually about monitoring you and making sure you, you turn up and you don't disappear and they don't they won't be able to track you. That's just the whole thing, I think. 
and they can actually, because I have friends that have been detained that told me they were tracked through their mobile phones. Yeah, I think. What, they didn't turn up and then they were tracked? Yes, yeah. through their mobile but phones. But what are you, sorry, I'm... I'm I'm just trying to understand more. What do they ask you any questions yes. when you come? Uh, um, they ask you what they ask you is if you have changed your address. Okay. If your phone number is the same, so as she says, it's a monitoring thing. Mm-hmm. You understand, but it's how you you can come up and you say good morning and nobody answers you. I think they're trained to do that. Yeah, like um, I had an experience last week. I was supposed to sign in on the 16th, and I was very sick because I have problems with my stomach. And when I went there, I was so scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Normally, you just walk in and then you get the paper and you swipe on. But they asked me to sit down. And I was thinking, who am I going to call in case of anything? And the only person I was thinking of, if anything happened, was going to be Aloysius. But I sat there like for 30 minutes and I, I, I was just looking at the police people working, the immigration officers, and I know they said, come to this store. And my heart fell in my stomach. And I'm like, maybe this is the end. Maybe I'm going home. And then she came, why didn't you come in to sign last week? And I told her I wasn't feeling well. Do you have any proof of that? Were you in the hospital? I said, no, I wasn't in the hospital, but I saw the GP and she was sent me back. I'm like, you need to bring proof of all that. So when she was done and then she said, I asked her, does this have anything to do with the fact that my case is going to be like derailed or do I have problems? She's like, no, we just need to monitor you and make sure why you didn't turn off. So that was the reason. Actually, on your paper, it shows if you don't come. So maybe that person has compassion. But when you get the ones that enjoy the job, they can actually arrest you. No, if you don't turn they, up. they actually called me to find out why I wasn't coming and they said I was at the hospital. Maybe it was okay. It was put down, so it was on the system yeah. okay. that she was sick and she couldn't yeah. turn up. You understand? But she saw it, but she still, she put, still you put Yeah, stress. she still put me through that stress. That is, and then she was like, Oh, me. oh. I said, but they called me and I confirmed it. She's like, No. So it's okay. a process yeah. that is difficult. It gets scary. Well, I've learned a lot. Um can I just say one thing? Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, if anybody's out there who, who is a person who's signing or all of that, you know them little mobile phones, that's not smart. You should always have one with you and has credit on it because when you go there, they take away your smartphones so you can't mm-hmm. contact anybody. So you always, I have two phones. I've learned that the second time because when I reached in there, I learned it from everybody. So you need to have those little phones that are not smartphones and make sure you have credit on it and all your lawyers and family members' mm-hmm. number in there that you can call somebody because that one they don't take away from you. Yeah, that's such good advice. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I think I needed that. I've learned so much today and I think it was something you said, Philly. It's something that you've all said. It's, you know, there are days where I feel like I have so much despair in in humanity and I and I feel overwhelmed by all the stories I hear and all the things that are happening in the world and I but when I do things like this when I have the chance to speak like women like yourselves I'm overwhelmed with so much positivity for the future and and not not necessarily pressure but I am given the tools to continue and branch out and give the platform to other people to share their stories. So I'm just, I'm leaving here with 
tons and tons of gratitude to all of you. So thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Girls take action. And this, I think, is the most important part of the podcast. It's Girls Take Action. Um, So this year, you know, Girls Talk is really concentrating on action and what we can all do to help and and what are some of the tools. Because I, like I said, sometimes it feels overwhelming. Sometimes you're not sure what you can quite do. But um, there's so much that we can all help with and volunteering is one of the best ways to get involved. But I know there are other things that we can all do. So... Can you tell myself and my lovely girls listening what we can all do to help? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are so many things. I think on the advocacy side, there are always, if you're following us, Help Refugees, on social media and Women for Refugee Women, we're always sharing all sorts of different ways that people can tangibly help. But the big advocacy ask that we're talking about at the moment uh, is one of them is Lift the Ban, which is about um, which is about signing a petition to say that People should be allowed to work while they're waiting for their asylum. That the benefits of that are just vast and huge and obvious, but everything from mental health, like Doreen's talked about, to being able to start to integrate, start your life again, having structure, having routine. There are plenty of jobs that need filling, gaining experience for CV, improving your language if that's a necessity. So lift the ban is 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 a really, really good petition to share and um start talking about. And um and also the Dubs Amendment, we worked with Lord Alf Dubs to pass the Dubs Amendment to protect unaccompanied minors um, across Europe. Almost three years ago, uh, there are still over 200 places of only just under 500 that were, that were eventually agreed upon. There are still just over 200 which have not been taken. There are people and public authorities across the country who are ready to take children. Um, so you can write to your MP and tell them, that you want to see those places filled and you want that to happen before winter. There are unaccompanied minors living in tents all the way across Europe. We have, uh, through the projects that we're working with, we have contact with them, we have their details, we know that they're eligible and yet there's blockages stopping them from coming. If you're especially young people, your MPs want to keep you happy, you're the future. So use your voice. They will answer you, they have to, it's their job. Um, You can find out your local MPs' details on Write to Them, which you can find on Google. and I think we're going to put all the different, we're going to put a list on our website so that everyone can see all the different ones. But another big one, which these guys will mention, is the is the um, Set Her Free about ending detention. Um, for us as well, volunteering, we always need volunteers in the fields. Some people can go out, but if you're, if you're younger or if you're at school or if you've got less time, you can organise collections of donations, you can organise fundraisers, you can talk about the situation, you can talk about what you're hearing today. Changing perception by, by, by talking about things is one of the biggest ways. It's how eventually change happens. Um, and, of course, donating to anyone who's in a position to, or if you know anyone who is, um, these grassroots programs that we're supporting rely on, rely on funding. It's a really massive way that people can help. But, yeah, it's by no means the only way. I mean, for us as well, ASOS um, sell our Choose Love t-shirts and we are given all the proceeds of all the merchandise there. So... Um, they're 20 quid so if that's something that's available to you then that is also great and tag us on social media if you do that because we love to see all the people the amazing people who make up this this movement that we feel honored to be a part of anyone else 
got any tools of wisdom that we can all take away so we can all do something about not you guys you're already doing loads of stuff but i um just just get aware awareness of 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 what it's like to be an asylum seeker. Don't, don't just sit back and listen to the typical stereotype. You understand? You you, you can just get away, go on Women for Refugee Women's site. Um, we we are trying to end um, indefinite in detention because I was in there for like three months and didn't know when I was going to come out. You understand? And also um, we are trying to help women who are destitute and all of that. But volunteer, she says... Mm-hmm. Um, just get involved mm-hmm. you know what I mean and there's a website for all of us so we, we, everyone is welcome Brilliant. to help and Sam for at Women for Refugee Women are there, are there places are there chances for people to volunteer are there yeah absolutely so on Mondays um, we have our drop in I think we've got all our volunteers sorted for next term but definitely check out our website and if you want to get involved we'd love to have you and um, our big ask at the moment is the set her free campaign against detention so we believe that women who come here to seek safety should be treated with dignity and should have a chance to have a fair hearing and that can't happen when they're locked up in detention um so we're campaigning for a time limit on detention so that Women can't be locked up indefinitely. Um, and we're also campaigning to end it entirely for women who are seeking in s- asylum. Um, so there's going to be information in the show notes. You can see how to get involved. And the key way at the moment would be to write to your MP because there's an amendment going through Parliament in the immigration bill. And it would be great to have your MP support. Um, also, as Philly said, you can do a lot to amplify refugee and asylum-seeking women's voices on social media. I think we spoke earlier about how there is so much positivity and love and support, and we just need to make this voice the loud one and kind of mm-hmm. silence some of the more hateful voices who seem to manage to dominate the narrative. <laughs> so, yeah, join in and get involved and spread the word that would be great well thank you so much to all of you thank you philly thank you doreen thank you gabby thank you sam thank you so much i can't say it enough it's such a pleasure to be able to meet women like yourselves and to have the chance to learn more and to educate myself and you know i don't like you i mean probably for different reasons um gabby i was nervous for this particular podcast and i'm not sure why because that I never come in these rooms with any sort of judgment or or but I think sometimes when you don't understand about certain things fear traps you and you're like how am I going to navigate around this conversation you know and all of that goes out the window when you start hearing other people's stories and you start meeting in the middle and meeting in the middle with truth and authenticity so I'm 100% grateful and thank you so much for all of you for sharing um, with myself and with my listeners. And I really believe that it's going to be such an important one and such a groundbreaking one for Girls Talk. Thank um, so thank you. thank you so much. Thank I hope you. all of you enjoyed this. We'll enjoy listening. Oh, <laughs> I hope all of you um, will enjoy this as, as much as I enjoyed doing it. Just send this one especially, you know, get your friends to listen to it. Get your mums, get your dads, share this one. Um, and 
We all need to do our part. We all have a part to play. And this is happening on our doorstep. And, and these are women, children and men that need our help. But as always, mad, mad, mad amounts of love. We may have stopped talking, but that doesn't mean you have to. Talk to us on our Instagram at Girls Talk or send us your poetry, essays, stories, artwork or anything else you want to share at girlstalk.com. Mad love to Nike for helping us to create such great chat and even better actions for our girls. We are always here and we're always listening. I'm Adjua Boa, this was the Girls Talk podcast and you are amazing.